What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. Hallelujah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Yes, church, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. We grab hold of this wonderful scripture this morning with everything that we have, don't we, people? Romans 8, 35 to 39. These are the words from the Apostle Paul. And my goodness me, he faced trials and persecutions. So there is therefore nothing that can, can stop you and I from coming into the fullness of what the Lord has for us. Hallelujah. No, not, not life. No, not death. No, not the powers of darkness. No, not sickness. No, not iniquities. No, not persecution. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate us from God's everlasting love. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would not perish, but that we would have everlasting life. This is God's everlasting love, people. For those of you watching online, he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. For there is nothing that can separate you from his love, and it is found through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. So come to him if you are weary, if you have burdens, if you have concerns and worries about the future, if you are bound up in fear, come, come, 
Come to Jesus. He will meet you there. He will meet you there. And that is why every week we, when we gather, we take of the elements of communion, the bread and the cup, in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The institution of communion was given to us so that we may remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Jesus is the manifestation of God's everlasting love. Are you hearing me? Do you hear me? Yes, good, because it's true. It's true. World, there is so much brokenness right now, despair, tribulations and trials, but I want to challenge you to come. Come to him. Call out to Jesus, even in the night hour, even in desperation. Call upon his name and you will be saved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that nothing can separate us from your everlasting love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sending us Jesus Christ to be an to be the bridge, to be the conduit between sinful man and almighty God. That is who Jesus is. That is who he is. So let's take now of the emblems. Let's take of the bread. This bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was whipped, beaten and broken and speared. This body that was made to wear a crown of thorns. Jesus endured insults and wounds, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was punished for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We take of your body this morning with gladness and thanksgiving. And in the same, day, same way, before Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper, he, he took the cup and he said, this, this blood represents a new covenant. We have a new covenant, people. We are free from sin and death. We are no longer bound to the curses of death because of the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So thank you, Lord, as we partake of the blood this morning. We thank you that there is transforming power in this blood. There is healing in this blood. There is cleansing in this blood. And there is victory in the blood. We take this morning with thanksgiving and gratitude. In the precious name of Jesus and all the saints said, Amen. 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 Wow. There's never been there's never been a time like it, has there? Where it's time for the kingdom of God to be established here on earth. It's time for the people to align. It's time for the for the sons and daughters on the peripheral to come in to the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's time for the men and women, the sons and daughters, the ministries around and about to come in to the house of God that we may have the answers for this lost and dying generation, this, this hopeless world, isn't it? It's time. It's time. 
Oh my goodness, yesterday morning we had the most incredible prayer meeting. We pray every Saturday morning. For those of you who don't know, all are welcome to come. We meet at six o'clock, nice and early, and watch the sunrise. But it's so powerful because in that sacrifice of getting up early and enduring the elements of cold and wind sometimes, there is unity and there is such a blessing. Well, as we prayed yesterday morning, the power of God showed up in such a way. We saw the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues come alive in that prayer meeting. We were on our knees. Many were weeping. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit was, was there, tangible. And in amongst this incredible time, the Lord bought a, uh, a scripture, which I'll quickly try and find. It was 2 Chronicles 7, verses 10 to 15. Goodness me. After Kings, Chronicles, let's get there. This was just spontaneous, so I wasn't ready. Two Chronicles 7, wasn't it, guys? Two Chronicles 7, there it is. And verses 10. So this word came through, uh, through the tongues and through the, through the Holy Spirit yesterday. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Hallelujah. That word came through the interpretation. It was so clear. And it really is a call for the people of God to humble themselves and pray and seek his face because the Lord's telling us when we turn from our wicked ways, he will heal our land. This is a now word. This is a right now word. So I just, I want to encourage you, those watching online, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper, humble yourself, pray and seek the face of God, for he will hear the land. The word has been spoken. And you may like to add later, but it was powerful. You had to be there. <laughs> God has spoken. 
so aside from the prayer meeting, which, uh, which we've just mentioned, oh, Nick, do you... Oh, the date. Yes, so at the beginning of that verse, the date was the, was the same. What was it? The, the 23rd of the 7th, the 23rd day of the 7th month. And so this word came through on the 23rd day of the 7th month. It was, it was powerful, honestly. If you want to be part of what the Lord is doing, then come, come in, come in. We may not have the entertainment and the big screen, skinny jeans and smoke machines, but the power of the Lord is here and the Lord has spoken right now. This is now. This is right now. Things are about to change. Hallelujah. It's exciting. <laughs> Aside from the prayer meeting, um, today we are starting a prayer walk because it's time for the church, for the kingdom, to take authority, isn't it? And so we're going to assemble at 12.30 in the foyer after morning tea for anybody who wants to go on a prayer walk. And uh, we're expecting to mark the territory of Broad Beach through this mission, through this prayer walk. So even if you're watching online, you know, this, this day, this is the Lord's day. We put this day aside for the Lord and we're also going to go into the, into the mission field, starting off as a prayer walk to be led by the Holy Spirit into what he would have his, his people do. So please come join. Uh, if not this week, next week, we'd love to have you part of that. And uh, just a reminder as well, this afternoon, 4 p.m., we have... Uh, uh, the third series from Pastor Diane Pierce. She's teaching on binding the strong man. It's been a powerful time of learning and ministry. So everyone's welcome to attend. And uh, Children's Church. Children's Church is on as well in the morning services. So if you're watching at home and you have children, please bring them in. Bring them in. Have them equipped so that they can handle the things that they come against in their schools and their kindies and their, yeah, their, their sporting clubs. Now is the time for equipping the children. Hallelujah. So that's all the announcements for today. And uh, I'd like to welcome Pastor Gary to come. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Amen. There's so much happening at um, such a small church, hey? It's good. I love it. I love our church. I don't know where most of the church are this morning, but I love our church. I'll just sort this out, just making sure our audio is working properly for everyone who's joined us online. Uh, we love you, but if you live on the Gold Coast, please come to church. Church is about fellowship, not just about the word and you know, watching online and a bit of worship. It's actually about fellowship. So if you're on the Gold Coast, come and join us. We got people that travel quite a ways to get here each week which says something. If people are travelling to get to church in this day and age, it says something. God is moving in people's lives. I want to share a, a discussion I had with the Lord with you before I start through the week. On Friday, Pastor Amanda was supposed to be at home having a day off. We're trying to have Friday as our day off each week and you're called into work, and that, that's a whole other testimony which we won't share publicly. But um, 
someone needed prayer and got saved that day because you went into the shop. So praise the Lord for that. So I sat at home and I read the Bible and I prayed. And you know, when you do that, God talks to you. So if he's not talking to you, maybe open your Bible and start reading and praying. And he said to me, son, and I love how Nick said yesterday, he always calls me my boy. For me, he always calls me son. Yes, Lord. He says, where are all the men? I said, what? I had the same question for you. Where are all the men? And I talk to God like he is my father. He's happy for me to come and ask him questions. And we, we, we dialogue. I do it with a reverent fear, of course. He is God. He said to me, men in the church, you know, this, is, this is what God said to me. This is not Gary saying this. He said, men in the church need to step up. We look at our church here. Two-thirds of our congregation are female, which is fantastic. But men, it's time to step up. If you're watching online, it's time to step up. We need to take the positions that we're supposed to have. Men need to start leading their families. This is what's been pushed down by the world for a couple of generations now. Men need to start leading their families. They need to start setting the example for the younger ones. They need to start paying first fruits. They need to start doing what the Bible says. They need to start paying through them. They need to start giving their tithes. They need to start leading. They need to start teaching. They need to start being obedient to God's word, not just the parts they like. Lord said to me, what do you think? What could be my response other than yes, Lord? And I said to him, I'm, I'm, I know these big churches have a place, but the skinny jeans and the big screens and the smoke machines, Lord, it's been said so many times that that's church error. Church error is finished. We're in kingdom now. And he said to me, as clearly as he was sitting next to me on the couch, skinny jeans, smoke machines, big screens, and soy latte sipping men are not what I have called to do my work. Like, yes, Lord, I agree. It's time to grow up, men. It's, start to, it's time to start standing up because he's not looking for what has been perceived and forced down our throats as men. He's not looking for feminine men. He's looking for men Toxic masculinity, as it's called now, is actually masculinity. It's not toxic, unless you're a feminine man. It's time to grow up. It's time to start doing what we've been called to do. Let me encourage you. I wept over this. And then we, we prayed yesterday morning. There was so much weeping. There was so much confirmation. The, the scripture that Bernice prophesied, she spoke out, was the 23rd of the seventh month. That was yesterday. We didn't realize that until after the fact. 
God is moving when we're on our knees and we're weeping. Bernice does not speak Tagalog. But yesterday she was speaking in tongues. She was praying in Tagalog. She was praying in English and a couple of other languages. And at the end, Pastor Romel and Pastor Grace were like, can you speak Tagalog? She's like, what? God is moving. God is moving. He's calling us, especially men. I know women are being raised up through the churches at the moment, and that's fantastic. They're taking their place. Men, it's time to step up and lead like we're supposed to. Stop being told by the world how we should react, how should we should act, how we should be in church. It's time to stop and start being obedient to God's Word. Join me in the Lord's Prayer, because I probably should preach a message today. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, this was his response. This is how simple it needs to be. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We could pull that apart and preach on that for hours to truly understand what it means. It's a handful of words that we can teach our children and they will remember it. We need to start understanding what we're reading, what we're, what we're praying. And today we're going to continue working through the parables. The Master speaks to us today through the parables. And these teachings are based on Jesus' parables, not Gary's, that describe the nature and the kingdom of God because I am so sick and tired of Christians. I want kingdom people. It's time to step up. Step up to the mark. Become a kingdom person. Don't just tick the box and say you're a Christian. Become kingdom. And today we're going to talk about only God knows, but he's not telling. I've been leading up to this message for a while. As we work through the parables, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll know which one we're up to. Let me pray for our offering before we go any further, though. I'm getting a bit excited. We don't do an offering message here at the refinery, but we do every single week pray for the offering. And as kingdom people, that's what we do. And we give. If you've got your seed there, you're ready to sow it. Hang on to it. Put your hand on it as we pray. Father, <laughs> we are grateful that your divine power protects us and your divine resources provide for our every need, Lord. We pray for forgiveness where we have sinned and for faith to believe that the way of life you have shown us will work even in a crooked and perverse generation that we've got outside these doors. We give back to you a portion of the money, Lord, that you have enabled us to earn. We do not offer our money as a substitute for the dedication of ourselves, however, but as a method of channeling our efforts in a practical way towards the preaching of your good news to those who, Lord, are enslaved by sin whether they're here on the Gold Coast or they're over in our churches in Germany. Lord, bless us as we give this morning. 
Use our gifts to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're ready to give, the offering boxes are on the side there. I need to be careful which way I walk. That microphone is squeaking at me this morning. The text we're going to work through today is Matthew 13, 30. Keep our brother Zane and our sister Diana in your prayers too. Zane's just arrived in Singapore. He rang us as we pulled up this morning. They need prayer. They, they need prayer of peace over that family. That the Lord just steps in and does what he needs to do. So let's keep him in our prayers this week. Zane we probably won't see for two months. Diana's already been away for a month. So... Um, Keep praying for them. Don't forget them. Don't forget them. They may not be here, but they're still part of our family. Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The scriptures we're working through are Matthew 20. Sorry, Matthew 13, 24 through to verse 30. If you haven't worked it out by now, it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Verse 24, another parable he's put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. I'm sure whether you're aware of it, but Jesus preached all these parables back to back. He was making sure that everyone that heard heard in a way that they would understand because the message is the same in each one verse 25 but while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way so the man who sowed sowed good seed verse 26 but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop then the tares also appeared so the servants of the owner came and said to him sir did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tears? Verse 28. He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? He said to them, let us go and gather them up. Verse 29, but he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Could be talking about the church here, right? Maybe the weeds grow up with the wheat in the church. Have you heard the old saying, if God is good, he's not good, and if he's good, he's not God? Something the world would love to be saying to us. If these words seem to apply anywhere in the Bible, it's here. Although written differently in this parable, 
The endless question is echoed. Why doesn't God do something about the evil in the world? Who has had someone say that to them? Why does God let all that evil happen? Surely a good God wouldn't do that. We've all heard people say that to us. After the first parable, the the parable of the sower, the disciples needed Jesus to explain the meaning. And Jesus readily obliged them. In fact, he did something that we hesitate to do in explaining the parables. He actually pulled them apart. He spoke to people about them. He gave multiple identifications, listing six people or things with symbolic meanings. And this parable borders on having a hidden meaning. And let's try and pull that out this morning. First point, this parable in history, this story has been used in the past to reinforce positions for a pure church. It's been used as a justification for separating from the early Catholic Church on the grounds that holiness is not merely one of the church's basic characteristics, but the essential characteristic, the exclusive trait of the church. Let me tell you, holiness is important and it's lacking in our churches today. But this is one of the reasons the Protestant movement started, because they couldn't see it in the Catholic Church. The argument was that the hypocrites might be somewhere within the church. I can see everyone watching online nodding at the moment. The hypocrites might actually be in the church. But when people are plainly living out of harmony with the principles for which the church stands, the faithful in Christ must withdraw from them or be defiled. What they're talking about here is those of us who call ourselves Christians but don't actually live it out. We can easily be called a hypocrite, can't we? The purest, like the poor, will be with us always. These people who have to pull away from the the homeless and the addicts and all that sort of thing because they think they're so holy, we're always going to have them, just as we're always going to have the poor. Martin Luther had an interesting, though slightly inconsistent, approach to this parable. He claimed that the church may exclude the heretics, but not kill them. That's pretty good, isn't it? But the state may exclude them and kill them. Because Jesus prohibited Christians from uprooting the tares. Slightly twisted take on the parable, but let's keep going. He did not forbid the civil authorities from doing what they wanted to do themselves. Beza, who was a friend of John Calvin, went further and he challenged Luther. Church history is important, right? We need to know how we've got so far away from what Jesus taught. Reformations are great. I'm believing for a reformation. I believe that this church will be at the head of the reformation of bringing people and churches back to Christ at the centre. Beza argued that the parable does not deal with church discipline for the church had not yet formed and therefore both church and state may use appropriate punishment in dealing with the heretic tears. Is that feedback coming through or is that the children's church that I can hear? 
Oh, maybe we've got a bird here. It wasn't a microphone after all. With this reasoning, he justified the burning of Servetus. We must today pour a little salt on each of these interpretations. Amanda, can you please ring Alan and tell him to turn that camera off? Because we're getting feedback from whatever he's doing. Nonconformists and zealots in all generations have continued the argument and the struggle. Have you noticed that? All the nonconformists out there are still fighting this battle. All the zealots are fighting this battle. But they're both so far away from where Christ would have them go. Too often we take heresy and we justify it with a text in the Bible. We twist the scriptures. We've got to cut it out. If we want reformation, if we want to see revival, if we want to see the Holy Spirit move across this nation, we've got to stop twisting the scriptures. If something was a sin and it's in the Bible as a sin, guess what? It is still a sin. Don't let the world convince you of something opposite. Let's be honest. What does Jesus think about all this striving to vindicate our positions? Can we not imagine him looking with grievous and incredulous eyes and wondering why people feel honest when they forge murderous weapons from his simplest words about eternal life? Who has been told they're not good enough for ministry? I see some people smiling. I'm sure many of you have been told, you're not good enough. That's not what Jesus said. He said, measure up to this and keep moving. Go and do not sin. One scholar said with tongue in cheek that some people are more religious than God himself. Do we know some of them? I pray that one day they walk into our church and they truly have a relationship with Christ. Some people are actually more religious than God himself. To some, perfection seems so biblical. We're all sinners. We're not perfect. Jesus is. After all, God has placed in our hearts a discontent with anything that's second rate. If we are serving Christ, we do it to the best of our ability. We have a standard at this church we've raised. And sometimes we get disappointed because we miss the mark. But we come back and we do it again. Because God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did your best at that time. When life loses its idealism, disintegration comes quickly. Why do you think so many people come into the churches around the world and they're so on fire, oh, Lord, I love you, I got saved today, everything's great. And then one of their Christian brothers and sisters maybe tells them they're going to do something with them or they're going to help them with something and they don't do it. That ideal Christian view disintegrates very quickly, doesn't it? Is there anyone in here that has not been disappointed by a Christian? All of us. Is there anyone here who calls themselves a Christian and hasn't disappointed someone else? 
all of us. We need to get used to it. You don't want to be in ministry if you're easily disappointed by people. It will eat you up really quickly. Do you agree with that, Pastor Dave? <laughs> I love the fact. I actually said to our, our, our prayers yesterday as they were leaving, I said, you know what? Something is coming because I haven't been beaten up by another church for a long time. Something is coming. And I, I don't enjoy it, but I take joy in it because I know if we're preaching the word of God, people are going to get upset. If we're challenging their ways of thinking, if we're challenging their doctrine because it's different to what Jesus taught, they get upset. Good. Good. It's a lonely walk, but there's a handful of us that are happy to walk that walk. Pastor Dyer has been preaching Reformation for years. We're going to keep running with that because it's going to happen. If we need anything, we need to keep within us a sense of our destiny and refuse to compromise by accepting shallow substitutes. Big screens, skinny jeans, smoke machines, it's entertainment. Go and preach the word outside there without all that stuff. See whether you get a crowd of a thousand people on the Gold Coast with no advertising. Shallow substitutes for the word of God. A motivational message is not a substitute for the word of God. Guess where the tears are? Yet the drive for perfection can easily turn into an overbearing intolerance. I am not tolerated by most ministers. Great. I want the narrow path. I will continue to walk the narrow path. We have intercessors in this church that if I get off that narrow path, guess what? I will get a smack. We have ministers on the Gold Coast that if I get off that narrow path, I will get a smack. I get nervous in between services if I get phone calls from particular ministers. Praise the Lord. They're just ringing to say, hey, that was a great message. We're praying for you this afternoon. Jesus presented both sides of the picture. And we must be honest enough to realize that our zeal can, if we're not careful, become a projection of our ego. Only rarely do people so wholeheartedly embrace evil that they are entirely beyond the influence of God and the influence of good. We know some people like that, who they are so deep into the darkness that as soon as you look at them they get upset they want nothing to do with you you just got to hand them over to god and let him deal with it likewise most people have within their motivation a pride that can become a satanic tool that will unless they exercise care become an instrument of self-destruction some people are so prideful there's no room for God. So guess who steps in? Satan just steps in and walks alongside and says, come this way. What was Satan's downfall? Why was he cast out of heaven? Because of pride. What was his job in heaven? 
He was the chief worshipper, full of pride, cast down. We should keep our convictions strong and our spirit sweet. It's hard sometimes. When we're going through tough times, I know it's hard to keep our convictions strong. And it's even harder to keep our spirit sweet. When someone has just hurt you so badly, you want to ask God to call down fire on them. But you've just got to say, Lord, forgive my trespasses as I forgive theirs. We should seek as best as we can to act from honest motives and pure motives. Now we're fleshy creatures, so that can be hard for us, but to the best of our ability, we've got to start trying to act from honest motives. I had two people this week Part of the church, lie to me. Outright lies. My reaction was I should call them out. My response was, Lord, they're yours. You sort them out. As a prophet, I know when someone's lying to me. As, as Pastor Amanda will tell you, I can meet someone and I know within 30 seconds their character and their integrity. They don't even need to say a word. So please don't lie to your pastor. Especially if you're watching online, don't lie to your pastor. He knows. She knows. We need to start... Let me get off track here for a second. We need to start treating ministers. We need to start looking at them in the same eyes that God looks at them. He's put them in place for a reason. We need to start treating them how they should be treated. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about ministers all over the world. But in the Western world, we've got it so messed up. We could fly to Kampala in Tanzania tomorrow. We would be picked up at the airport. We would, someone would be carrying our bags. We would turn up for church. And before we even got out of the car, someone would have grabbed our Bible. And you think you're getting robbed. This happens so quickly. But, and you, then you're ushered in. I'm not saying we need to do that here, but the respect for ministers and evangelists and prophets. and Whatever office they're operating in is so respected in other countries and not here. That needs to change. So we need to start operating from honest motives. And pure motives. And why do it now? Weeding out wrongdoers is a popular method of dealing with evil, isn't it? If you've got a troublemaker at work, what's the boss do? They call HR and they're booted out pretty quickly. It's a little bit harder now, but it still happens. Weeding out wrongdoers in the church, they just get isolated, don't they? Everyone ignores them. The person ends up leaving. Maybe they should have been praying for them, working with them through their issues. Although Jesus refused to sanction it, his followers have practiced that in all generations. There's a wrongdoer in the church, they'll be removed from the church. This method, however, is dangerous and it's foolish. 
Think a moment and you will see why Jesus refused to approve it. For one thing, we do not have enough wisdom to distinguish wheat from tares. I said to someone a few weeks ago, we were talking about this, I said, we have tares in our church and we're just going to let them grow. Many times a movement, which at the start seemed to be a menace, actually turned out to be a blessing. If you've ever worked in ministries that are associated with drug and alcohol rehabilitation, let me tell you, some of those people are a menace. Most of those people are a menace. When you first start working with them, when they come into the church, when they come into the ministry. But they turn out to be a blessing. We, we spent three years at Transformations, ministering to people every day of the week. Some of those people we ministered to who we saw coming off the street with nothing are now traveling the world preaching the gospel. They become a blessing. These people weren't welcome in other churches. They weren't welcome. In fact, they were asked to leave. They would be able to tell you what churches they'd been kicked out of. Another reason to avoid this method is it endangers the wheat. If the tear puller is wheat, he begins to set himself as a judge of his brother. If you consider yourself the wheat and you start pulling up weeds, you're judging your brother. When we pull up the tares, we're in danger of pulling up the wheat that grows beside it. Think about that. You might have that drug addict come into the church. They might be rowdy. They might smell a little bit. Hey, they might even wet themselves in church. You kick them out. You don't know if their family and friends are there who also leave because you judge that person. You're supposed to love them, not judge them. If you've ever, who's, got a, who's had a vegetable garden or, or has one now? If you've ever pulled out weeds near your vegetables, you know that it's easy to pull the vegetables out by accident too. We used to grow lots of radishes and carrots and, and that sort of thing and I, I didn't, I wasn't like the, the good sower. I didn't prepare the garden that well. I turned it over and then pulled the weeds out that I could see. But they were still there. The radishes had come up, the carrots had come up, and there would be some weeds in amongst them. So then I think, oh, I probably need to pull these things out. And then the carrots and radishes come out too. And then you're trying to poke them back in. It doesn't work. You easily pull everything else out with it. The tares and the wheat are so interrelated that it is difficult to pull up one without doing injury to the other. We all have some, some tares, some weeds in our families. We don't pull them up and throw them away, do we? Furthermore, tear pulling is negative and God's kingdom is never built on an anti-program. We have a positive God. He doesn't say, don't let that person into your church. Don't let that person into your building. Don't let that person into your ministry. He doesn't say that. He says, come. He says, come. He says, don't let that person be a minister. 
because when you want to be a minister, there's certain things you need to live up to and live by. Have a read of 1 and 2 Timothy. It's all in there. But everyone's welcome at church. I once saw a building demolition company and it was advertising, we can wreck anything. Some Christians are like that, aren't we? We can wreck anything that you put in front of us. But God's people are not into the wrecking business. That's not what we're supposed to do. Tear pulling comes across too much as being judgmental. And it's non-constructive. So what do we need to do? We need to let God handle it. The Christian must take the future on faith. We sold our four businesses to do full-time ministry. Let me tell you, that's taking the future on faith. We must trust that the weeds that come into the church will perhaps turn into wheat. We take the future on faith. It's hard, of course, to see the wicked prosper while the righteous are in pain or in poverty. I've had so many people say that to me over the last couple of months. Why are the wicked so so prosperous at the moment? Why? I don't have a response. It's in God's hands. Let him deal with it. Seeds, however, require time to reveal what they are. When we go to Bunnings or to the the nursery and we buy a packet of seeds, it's normally labelled. When you get people, when you see their seeds, you just get a handful of seeds. You don't know what you're going to get. God has reserved some things for himself and that's what he's not telling us. He's not telling us when we get those seeds who the weed is and who the wheat is. Wicked people may prosper, but they do not usurp his sovereignty. We may see them prospering and thinking, Lord, why are you letting that happen? But guess what? He is their final judge, as he is ours. One day we're all going to stand in front of him. Some people are going to say, but we cast out demons in your name and we healed the sick and we, 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 we did this, we did that and get behind me. I did not know you. Let's not be those people. Let's be the well done, good and faithful servant people. Judgment will come in God's time because God will not endlessly tolerate wrongdoing. There is a time of grace, but he won't tolerate wrongdoing forever. So what Jesus did not say is the next thing we need to look at. What did he not say? Let it be understood again that Jesus nowhere advocated compromising with evil or wicked people. We don't compromise. As a church, we do not compromise with the Word of God. We do not say gay marriage is okay, but love is love. No, it was a sin in the Bible, and guess what? It's a sin today. For LBGT alphabet friends, no. It was a sin back then, it's a sin today. We do not compromise, we do not recognise it. We recognise two sexes, male, female, and about 600 mental disorders that go with it. It's true. 
you can't. No, I won't even go there. Won't even go there. Jesus nowhere advocated compromising with evil and wicked people. This is where the church needs to stand up, get a little bit of boldness, and say, no, wrong is wrong. Sin is still sin. Right is still right. He was not suggesting any form of truce with the weeds because he knew that human peace can never be harvested by reconciliation with treachery and hate and lust and greed. That's why he says repent. Turn away from all that. Repentance means don't sort of just go off track a little bit and go around it. He has to turn from it. Run back to him. Jesus knew, on the other hand, that many times, perhaps even always, the only way we can find peace of mind is to accept the way of life as it is and try to do the best we can with what we've got. Guess what? That's what we need to be doing. Accept what the world is doing. Accept it. You're not going to change it. Just don't be part of it. Don't agree with it. I remember probably this time last year, we had someone ask the question. There's a a guy, he likes to dress as a lady. He wants to come to church. He's got some drug issues as well. Fantastic. Bring him. He'll be treated as a guy. We will not accept him turning up in a dress. He can do it, but he is still a guy. We will not call him Mrs. Whatever. He will be Mr. Don't accept what the world is trying to force down your throat. Just understand that you're not going to change their ways. That's up to God. Wickedness shocks good people. At least it should. And our righteous indignation is raised often, even if we are too tender to struggle against the entrenched evil. It's okay to have a righteous indignation and say, no, my God says. We would be naive to hope for any field without weeds. The farmers out there planting the wheat, planting the cotton, they're dealing with weeds every day of their life. No matter how well they prepare prepare their fields, there's weeds that they have to deal with. Life lacks a lot of it. It lacks a lot of... (laughs) Life just lacks, doesn't it? Lacks a lot of things that can make it beautiful all of the time. But as we prayed yesterday morning, we actually saw the clouds start to part and the sun come through while we were praying. It was beautiful. This morning, I woke up draw the curtain it's like oh, thank you lord another beautiful day on the gold coast how blessed are we to live here but then as we drive through surfers paradise we see the the drunks coming out of the nightclubs we see the homeless we see we can't expect a field without weeds we can trust god though that he will sort the weeds out he will change them. We cannot, however, afford to drain our energies 
in combating every iniquity that we see in someone else. Too many of us waste too much time trying to change somebody. That's God's thing. Let him do it. I once had someone say to me, another pastor, he goes, you know, Gary, when, when people get married, a husband just wants, wants his new wife not to change. And the wife just wants her new husband to change the way she wants him to. We've got to stop that. We've got to stop it. Let God change someone. Pray for them. Pray with them. But let God do the work. And don't get all uptight when they don't change. Some people it can be in an instant. Others it takes 20, 30, 40, 50 years even. Let God work on them. And the fruit is in the proof. The fruit is the proof. You've heard me say it before. I don't care if you're the greatest evangelist in the world. Show me the fruit. If it's rotten, I'm not interested. Sometimes you buy apples and they look all nice on the outside. It's like, oh, this one's going to be juicy. You bite into it and it's black. The fruit is the proof. Many times in life we cannot distinguish between the genuine things and those that are pretending to be real. The world offers many substitutes. We know that. How many different gods are out there in the world at the moment? Money, sex, perhaps your partner. They're all substitutes for God. Maybe even your pastor has been made a substitute for God. I'm not talking about anyone in this church, of course. But some pastors have actually been put on that pedestal where God should be sitting. Advertising often suggests that something is just as good and people fall for that line all the time. You see those discount shops? This is just as good as the real thing. It's 20% of the price. It might be good the first time you use it and then it falls apart and it's just a cheap substitute. Like all these other religions we're seeing, they're a cheap substitute. We saw last night someone who's supposedly Christian sharing stuff that had enough Christianity in it, but you look at the images, they're all new age. It's just as good though, right? God said some of the stuff here. No, we need to be calling that out. If we're not careful, we will think that people are actually doing what the advertisers claim. Someone's saying that they're that great evangelist or whatever. You actually look at the fruit. Look at the, Always look at the fruit. See what they're producing. I'm not having a go at evangelists. They're just an easy target because most of them, if you see them down in Cavill Avenue, they'll be preaching up a storm, telling everyone they're going to hell. People are saying, yes, I want to accept Christ. And what next? Do they get pointed to a church? No. Do they just walk back into the sin they were in more often than not? Show me the fruit. The plain unvarnished truth is not in the advertisement, but in the delivery of the goods. On our florist website, when we had it, we had the best photos of our products. They were fantastic. But you know, sometimes when the flowers come in from the farms, 
weren't that great. So we wouldn't use them. We'd sometimes have to ring a customer and say, well, we can't give you that because it's terrible. But we can give you something else. How many times, though, do we, we just go, oh, well, that's what we're advertised. It's the same product, but the quality is disgusting and just gets sent away. It's about the delivery of the goods. You can tell me you're a Christian, but show me the goods that you're delivering. Show me the fruit that you're producing. The thing that comes from a tree is the best definition of a tree. If you plant an apple tree and get a banana, it's never going to happen, is it? You plant an apple tree, you get apples. It doesn't produce oranges. Blackberry bushes do not produce strawberries. Wisdom comes when we study the past. We've got to start looking at what church history looks like. We've got to start looking at where the church went wrong. And it did. We've got to start understanding where and why. And then let's watch the Reformation take place. We need to learn lessons from those who have gone before and make an honest effort to apply them things in our lives. Look at the great reformers. Read the God's General's books. What were they doing? They were going out and unashamedly preaching the Word of God and sending people to churches. I'm getting a little bit sick of the lone wolves out there, pulling people out of the churches. That has to stop. As Bible-believing Christians, we need to remind them, yes, the church age might be over and we're in the kingdom age now, but the church is still required because God works through his church. He didn't get Billy Jones from down the road to start his own ministry that has nothing to do with the church. That's where the tears are. Sometimes we're told that the world is different today. I love hearing that. But the world is so different. But the burden of proof is still on those who make that statement. How is the world different? How has the gospel changed? My Bible says the same thing. 2,000 years ago, sin is sin. God is God. He's still sitting on the throne. Things aren't that different today. We're just hardened. Our hearts are hardened to what God would have us doing. Human life is short. Praise God for that. But history is a long story that gives a broad basis of judgment for every generation. Why do you think our communist leaders are rewriting history? Why do you think the history books from when, when I was at school, I was born in 74, why do you think the history books now are different to what they were when I was at school? They're trying to rewrite it. If history proves anything, it affirms that the weeds are always gathered into bundles and they are burned. The weeds are always gathered into bundles and burned. Harvest time does come. I look forward to the days when these children out in children's church are reaping the harvest from the seeds that we have sown, from the seeds that we have watered. But even in their generation, the weeds will be bundled up and burned. We must never pretend that there is no difference between wheat and tares. We must be careful about taking it upon ourselves, however, to distinguish between them. 
We all know who the tears are. Some of them are in our families. Let God sort it out. This sorting out belongs to him. It's his job. He's called us to one thing. Preach the word. Lead people to Christ. Why do we complicate it? Why do we have to complicate that? I just don't understand it. I'm going to finish up here in a second, Pastor Amanda. Through the main thrust of this parable is a warning. And that warning is against premature weeding. I said weeding, not weeding. Premature weeding. But another application cries out for our attention. When Christ comes with his sickle and his crown, surprises will be in store for us. When he comes, surprises will be in store. I've said it so many times. We'll be up in heaven. And be like, Auntie Patty, it's so good to see you here. Where's so-and-so? I haven't seen her. Now, there's going to be people there that we would expect to be there that aren't. And then we can look around and go, oh, how'd that person get here? It's not for us to make that judgment on people. Let the Lord sort them. In another parable, Jesus spoke about the sheep and the goats. You know, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The goats don't. They do their own thing. You know, my sheep, if I had sheep, would know my voice. But Pastor Di's sheep, if she had sheep, would ignore me and listen to her. Because the sheep know their master's voice. We see it with children, right? My children would probably ignore if someone else growled at them. But if I raised my voice when they were little, guess what? They'd listen. The sheep hear the master's voice. We need to start listening for God's voice. The main question for us is whether we ourselves have had a personal experience with with Jesus or whether we're just one of the tears. The question is, are you a phony? We don't need to answer that out loud, but I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. Have we actually had that personal experience with Jesus or we are just one of the tears? This is a sharp question, I know it. Are we phonies? As a minister, this is a question I ask myself all the time. Lord, am I doing what you're asking me to do? If not, stop me. Praise the Lord, he he hasn't stopped. He just said, keep going, keep going. I've normally got Pastor Amanda sitting at the front here. And she often sounds like the Holy Spirit. That you will see me. I will look at her if I'm going down a path which could be a little bit prickly. Because I know she's sitting there praying the whole time. And I'll either get a nod and a smile from her or mm, 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 stop. (laughs) We need that. We've got to be checking what the Lord's saying. Have you ever said of a person, I wonder if he's really saved? I know I have. I'll admit it. 
why not turn the spotlight on, spotlight on yourself sometimes and ask that same, same question? Lord, am I really saved? Because your fruit will answer that question. This is perhaps the greatest thought from this parable. Lord, shine the light on me. Shine the light on me, Lord. Am I really saved? Have I missed something along the way? We've got to be willing to do this. We've got to be willing to ask ourselves that question. And if you're not sure of the answer, we'll pray with you. There's enough people in this church to pray and, and hear from God and believe what his word says that will pray with you and for you. I think I'm going to finish up there. For everyone that's joined us online today, thank you. We love you. We'd love to see you at church if you're living on the Gold Coast because I know some of you do. For everyone else that's overseas, be blessed. We look forward to seeing you again on, on Tuesday night, our Tuesday night teaching. Lord, we thank you. Let's pray before we... We're going to have another worship song? We are, yep. And then we'll have some morning tea. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. is all yours. Lord, for anyone in our church family that is suffering this morning, 